This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses more successful. And today, we are going to have so much fun and hopefully learn a lot. We're talking to somebody who is a college professor, who has her PhD, and as I was telling her before the program started, I started reading through her her information in my brain, went... That's great because I love it when I get to learn from my guests. And so um, please join me in welcoming Dr. Kristen Sosolowski to our program today. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm really thrilled to be here. Great. And I believe I said your last name wrong. It's Sosolowski. Sosolowski, correct. There we go. I got it. (laughs) So, you know, before we really jump in, let me tell people a little bit about you. So Dr. Kristen Sosolsky is a clinical associate professor of information, operations, and management sciences in the Leonard N. Stern School of Business at New York University, where she teaches MBA students and executives data visualization, computer programming, and business analytics. She is also the director for the Learning Science Lab for NYU Stern, where she develops immersive face-to-face and online learning experiences to advance business school education. As a leading expert on data visualization, Kristen regularly consults, delivers seminars, and leads workshops on data visualization techniques and best practices. Her passion for technology and learning sciences converges in all facets of her career inside and outside of the classroom. So again, Kristen, welcome to our program. Thank you very much. You know, it's, it's funny. I'm not often intimidated by a guest, but really I was when I was reading your information. And, but I'm never intimidated enough to think, oh, no, can't do that. It just means I'm going to have so much fun. Um, but let's, let's go a little bit back because you are a woman in a field which is very predominantly men and which is, you know, science, technology, math, all of those various things. Tell us what brought you into this career path. Uh, it's, it's, a great, it's a great question. You know, it's always interested in technology mm-hmm. and uh, from, from the beginning and technology and programming and being able to work with data, analyze it and present it, mm-hmm. to present a compelling story result or communicate an insight was something I've always been kind of passionate about. And how I bring that together is um, I spent a lot of time studying education. Actually, my doctorate is in education and technology. Mm -hmm. And so together, part of education is really communicating and it's really explaining. And I bring that into all the work that I do. And so Mm -hmm. 
we translate in, in, in terms of visualization, I'm able to translate um, a lot of those skills. And like, how do we communicate the key insights from a data set? Well, we mm-hmm. do that through a visualization. Right. You know, and, and I love that it's, it's a combination with you. It's not just here are the numbers or, you know, all those very technical things. It really is about how do we communicate it and make it understood, you know, because that is, of course, the key, is making sure that people actually understand what the heck it is that you're trying to tell them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you mean by data visualization? It's simply just translating. Um, you know, we have a phenomena that exists in the real world. Mm-hmm. And that phenomena is represented by, you know, data, you know, mm-hmm. numbers and, and categories mm-hmm. and all these bits of information. And being able to translate that into a graphical picture where the data is encoded using symbols, right? Mm-hmm. Like bubbles and lines and slices of a pie mm-hmm. um, to show when things are greater or less than, um, to show relationships and patterns. Right. You know, and it is true that we need to visualize it. And, and I know that there are some brains that can look at the numbers and they know exactly what it is. And, and my guess is somewhere in their brain, they probably automatically created, you know, a, a visualization of it. But for the rest of us, we need to see that. You know, we need to see, like you mentioned, the pie chart, you know, to go, oh, okay, well, it, because we know, you know, 25% is less than 50%. But when we see it and we see that image with the color, with whatever it is that, that we're, we're doing it, it just has a much bigger impact on us. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, think about something like stock price um, and and that changing over time. So you can easily observe that as as a line that's either increasing, decreasing, stable, or cyclical, rather than looking at a table of numbers, for instance. Mm -hmm. Just how we're attuned to kind of perceiving and interpreting information these days. Visualization has really become the interface Mm -hmm. for us to understand um, all these different metrics in our, in our really, our data-driven world. Mm-hmm. You know, I was looking through your website, as I mentioned, and one of the things that I love, you talk about going to Pinterest for <laughs> inspiration on how to do some of these things. And I think maybe, you know, that, that is part of it. And I'm going to take a step back here for a second, because I am, and this is purely anecdotal, but I am assuming that many businesses either A, don't use data at all, or B, use it, but do it incorrectly, um, you know, and, and so maybe it's that they've got their data, but they, they interpret it wrong, which that's, you know, a, a different problem, or they just don't make it where people can understand it. So, you know, I love that you say, well, go to Pinterest and look for inspiration because then, we go, oh, that's how we can do that. Um, so, but why are some other reasons why we need to create visualizations? <clears throat> Uh, absolutely. There, there are many reasons. And so one is for exploration, for data exploration. So, you know, you, you're approaching a new data set that you haven't seen um, before. And so how do you make sense of it? Mm-hmm. And so no amount of observing or reading will kind of give you confidence in understanding what that data set has to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one, one reason why we use visualization is to really explore our data, to better understand it. 
And a common way to do this is, you know, first we run some summary statistics. We get the mean. Uh, we find the largest value, the smallest value. We might find the middle value, which is the median. Uh, we might find the range of values. Um, but then to be able to, to, com to compare va variables against each other, we can mm -hmm. do that through scatter plots. Mm -hmm. uh, very easily. So we use it to kind of really explore our data, understand it better. In addition to those summary stats, those go hand in hand. Now, it was funny. I was having flashbacks of my, my math classes as you were talking about all of this. And, and I, I had to take statistics when I was working on my MBA. And, and you know, and, and, but that was like a long time ago. And, but one of the things that I really remember being taught multiple times is, is that the trickiest part in many cases is asking the questions properly so that we're not leading them to the answers that we want, um, you know, and, and all of these various things. So talk to us, because I think that in many ways, that's why people either have incorrect data, we, you know, we ask the question getting the answer that we wanted or didn't want, um, mm -hmm. or, you know, we think, oh my gosh, I just don't know how to do it. So kind of, you know, and, and I, you, you have a book that just came out, and unfortunately, I wasn't able to read it. I'm going to, I promise, then we'll have you on again. And it's called Data Visualization Made Simple, Insights in Becoming Visual. So I'm going to encourage everybody to go look at that. And we'll talk about that more in detail. But let's start at the bottom for those of us who look at numbers and go, oh, no. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so understanding what your data represents in the real world is critical. And so we talked about how, right, so data is just, you know, is uh, a representation of some real world phenomena, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so understanding what it, what it means in the real world is, is, is important. And starting with, with having that data understanding mm -hmm. will help you at, ask better questions. Okay. And so let's like all in our mind just picture like an Excel spreadsheet. Okay. And an Excel spreadsheet is organized into columns and rows. Mm -hmm. Every column is a variable. Okay, let's just say if we're talking about like demographics of people, okay, mm -hmm. we might be looking at something like eye color and hair color. Okay. Really simple. And those are your okay. columns. And then every row represents a person, a different person. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so now we have to understand what that, um, how eye color and hair color are measured in those columns. And so we go to something called a data dictionary that defines how that, how that data might have been collected, what it actually means in the real world. Okay. Um, and then we might have another column that's like for respondent. And so we might have some information about the respondents in terms of um, who they were, where the data was collected, um, how large the sample was. So this type of information helps us have a better understanding what the data means in the real world, mm -hmm. then drive us to ask, ask the, the right questions. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, and then right to your point, what do we want to know? Mm -hmm. Do we want to know how many? How many people are in the data set? Well, that's just a sum. Do we want to know how many people have brown hair versus blonde hair versus red hair? Uh, okay, now we're looking at the proportion okay. of people that have these attributes. Mm -hmm. so we want to look at how, you know, say we have another column that's, you know, um, annual income. Mm -hmm. Now we're looking at um, uh, what's, the, what's the median income for all of our respondents. Mm -hmm. And you can keep going on and on and on. Um, so some things we can actually ask a question, get a single number as an answer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we might want to um, uh, draw relationships. So if we're comparing, um, okay, let's say that 
Um, we have their zip code information. Is there a relationship between geography and their income? Okay. And we would then perhaps do that more as a, a relationship type of chart. Um, again, going back to understanding what those columns mean, what those variables are, mm-hmm. allows us to ask the right questions and know when we need to kind of show information versus visually versus just getting a single number. Mm-hmm. Like how many people, how many respondents? Okay, there were, you know. Right, you know, there were 20 people, mm-hmm. yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when, we, when we're trying to say, well, um, you know, how has their interest in our product changed over time? Well, wow. I can't give you a number for that. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. You know, and, and knowing obviously how to ask the questions is the, the trickiest part of it because, you know, hair color, you know, great example. Is that natural hair color? Is that enhanced, as my husband would say, enhanced hair color? You know, all these various things, household income, net, gross, household, yours, you know, all these things. And I think that's where people mess up as they get too general. And then they don't get the answers that they were wanting or expecting. And so they think, oh my gosh, all of the data is flawed. Well, it wasn't the data. It was how you got the data. The data collection process, perhaps. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Or sometimes you don't have the level of detail that you need. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to our our simple like survey data, right? So we have Mm -hmm. some some basic demographics. We have a little bit about their their, their history in terms of um, their purchase history for our company. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have their zip code, but we don't have their address. Mm. So, and if we talk about New York City, um, saying that I have, you know, like, you know, 200,000 customers in one zip code versus another, mm-hmm. that's, 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 that's pretty hefty information. But where zip codes are really big in other parts of the country, mm-hmm. that might not be as informative. Right. Well, and I think sometimes that's where people have the problems is they, they make it too big. Um, you know, right now we're in the middle of politics course, I think we're always in the middle of politics anymore, but we're getting a lot of polls because many states are um, doing gubernatorial races, Senate, things like that. And, you know, and, and then of course we have the, the higher level of politics. And I always like it when they say, you know, 20% of Americans surveyed. And I'm like, okay, well, I know you. So if I know a hundred people, that should mean that, you know, 20 of my friends were asked and gee, none of them were asked. <laughs> and so then I immediately just go, well, the data can't be any, any good. And, but then they, so what they need to do to actually, you know, make the data valid, I'm assuming is to give us, to give me as, as the reader more detail. You know, the, the, this, the survey was conducted in say New York city or whatever. And, and, you know, clearly they're not going to talk to 20% of Americans or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, and, and so we need to understand that it's okay to talk to say a hundred if there's 10,000 that are, are, you know, when you can't talk to everybody, it's okay to do a smaller percentage, but sometimes you make the percentage too small. Yeah, and you're bringing up such a great point. And so understanding the sampling methodology methodology mm-hmm. that, um, that an organization uses to conduct their research. And mm-hmm. so we know we can't survey the entire population. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd be missing a lot of people that might not even just even have access right. to um, the type of technology, mm-hmm. whether it be um, cell phones or computers or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. So Understanding how that um, that type of survey is conducted will be important. Mm-hmm. Is it um, a stratified sampling method? Meaning, am I getting um, a representative number of people from every 
um, proportionally represented a number of people um, from every state. Mm-hmm. Okay. Otherwise, we can say, well, this excludes, you know, Washington State, Nevada, and New Jersey. Right. <laughs> and yeah. so then those those descriptions need to be put into um, as a um, as a note um, mm-hmm. along with um, details on the sampling methodology, right. so you can better interpret the data. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm you know assuming that in many cases that detailed information is there. You know, and, and and saying, okay, we talked to X number of people and yada, yada, yada. But of course, when it has to be a shortened version when it's reported or, you know, it, same thing with, you know, when you're giving a report, say in a boardroom or to, to customers or something, you you have the detail if they want it, but then you have to kind of summarize it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and this is really where, you know, data integrity comes into comes into account, right? And so um, there's there's a lot of rules out there about, you know, ethical data collection mm-hmm. uh, methodologies. And this is where having a source, you know, even on your graph, where did you get the data from and who created the visualization? Mm-hmm. Having those two things associated with the graph um, helps with um, seeing if this is actually from a reputable source or not, mm-hmm. as an example. Right. Well, I remember you know, way back when I was being taught how to do focus groups, one of the things that they talked to us about was how we asked the questions. You know, so maybe I would say, you know, Kristen, you know, tell me about your hair color, you know, back to that one. You know, is, is it black, brown, red, blonde, whatever? And, you know, you, you might say red and I'd go, hmm. <laughs> really or you know the eyebrow would go up or something like that and then then we're like oh no 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 let me change my answer um and so that is part of it when when you are a business owner you know who's asking those questions and and what you know if you're talking to the president of the company or somebody high up i mean you don't want to say your product's horrible um you know and and so all these various things so that's why in many cases having an unbiased type of of survey done is probably a great suggestion oh oh absolutely and 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 to be able to ask questions that um, or how and why questions usually tend to reveal more interesting results mm-hmm. than simply what questions mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and it always takes tweaking. I mean, you know, that's that you look at the results and you think, hmm, you know, and, and, but, but that also brings me back to, you know, one of the the things that, that my statistics professor who honestly, I actually didn't like him. I just didn't like this man. And so that probably gears part of, of, you know, why I, you know, I'm not fond of all of this, but I do remember that one of the things he said was we can basically make it say anything we want. So the key is to not be doing that. I 100% um, agree. We, I consider anyone who builds a data graphic a visualization designer. Okay. okay. Starting with that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that role, you know, you're encoding data into symbols. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also making a lot of other decisions. You're mm-hmm. choosing what to show. Right. And in that, you're choosing what to omit. Mm-hmm. You're in control of how you show it. Maybe you show it projected. Maybe you show it on the web. Maybe you show it printed out. Mm-hmm. It all makes kind of a difference in, in the context in which it's, it's shown. Is it shown mm-hmm. as you know, supporting evidence for an article or a business report? Mm-hmm. That all makes a difference. Um, you're in control of, you know, ultimately 
when you decide to show it. Mm-hmm. You know, if uh, it's in a presentation, is it something that's coming in the beginning, middle, or end? Are you are you showing it, you know, step by step, like one bullet point at a time, mm-hmm. or are you showing it really all at once? So you're really in control of the entire process. And so mm-hmm. this this idea that, oh, I've created it, and then, um, oh, well, you know, I only only map the pa- the past five years of returns, uh, not not over ten years. And let's just say that, um, you know, it's showing a better picture than it would have if you mapped the entire ten years mm-hmm. as an example. So right. you're in complete control of it. Mm-hmm. So knowing that there is that intermediary every time that you're you know interpreting a data graphic. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, you know, say you're giving the report to the president of your company and it's, you know, you're, you're the marketing person and you're talking about the new product from, from my perspective, a lot of times we call it burying the lead (laughs) where the most important or, you know, one of the important things is kind of, you know, Oh, and by the way, type of, of, you know, thing, or you, you say it at the end when maybe he's not paying attention any longer or, you know, all these various things. And, and, so it's just that's part of why this fascinates me, um, you know. And, and sometimes it it is other factors, you know, environmental factors. You know, is the room hot? Are you know? It, it, you mentioned you know if you're giving it as a presentation. Well, what if they really can't see it? Um, you know, all of these various things. And so that's why to me this just is so incredibly fascinating. There's there's really there's really a lot to it, um, and it's not just the technical aspect. And you know, I tell this story kind of a lot, but. Um, so when I started teaching data visualization, um, there just there would be this assumption among you know some of my students and professionals that I used to train that like you know this is not something that you know I'm ever going to do. I'm never going to be creating my own right. data. Kind of like when I used to have to take algebra, I'd say why did I, why would I have to take algebra? And I've realized I had to sell the value of data visualization as a leadership skill rather than a technique, and you know really focus on the business case for visualization. So mm-hmm. for instance, like. How does the information presented in the data graphic help someone make a decision? Mm-hmm. What's the value proposition? Can your visualization simplify the way that you communicate a complex analysis to your stakeholders? If it can, mm-hmm. then that doesn't seem like something, a task that you're delegating to someone else. Mm. That's your, you're in control of that. Now, maybe you're not, you know, collecting the data or finding the data, but mm-hmm. actually using that visualization in your practice, um, whether it's pitching to someone, maybe whether it's uh, talking to your boss, that's part of um, a leadership skill. Mm-hmm. You know, and it is, it's, it's a challenge, but one of the things that I have noticed is, is, you know, no matter what, people do tend to like numbers more. I was going to say more better. <laughs> and I work with people on doing their LinkedIn profiles and I tell them, you know, you can't just say, you know, I, I worked on the budget. They, it's, it's better to put numbers. And then the tricky thing, or not the tricky thing, one of the things that you can do is maybe your number is small, but if you change it to a percentage, is that better? Um, you know, I, I worked with someone one time on her LinkedIn profile and, and she was a medical billing person. And one of the things that she told me was, you know, a vast, one of her responsibilities was to resubmit to the insurance companies uh, when they had denied something. And I said, okay, that's great. And, and she said, well, you know, that really, you know, and I was like, yeah, yeah, right. That's great. And she said, no, you need to understand 90% of the time I got the money. 
And that was impressive. You know, I thought, ooh, 90%. And then I said, what dollar amount was that? And that was thousands of dollars. You know, and, and so it, it all depends on how you interpret that. And, and, you know, and so both numbers were important because it was great that she got 90% success rate. But when she actually got thousands of dollars back into the practice, that was good too. Um, you know, and, and small numbers too. You know, maybe you only did something five times, you know, but out of that, 50% was successful. So, you know, and, and, and again, you know, you should probably disclose now, you know, somewhere it really was only five times, but it, it's, it, we, we use the numbers to really start differentiating people, products, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, the, you know, it's, it's really, data graphics are a great way to kind of like receive information, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're, if you're a manager in a business and um, you're managing an entire team, how do you want to know how, um, you know, how they're performing? Mm-hmm. And just like you said, we love numbers. Mm-hmm. And so like, did sales go up? Did they, you know, if you're, if you're managing sales, sales folks, did they go up and by how much, um, by what product type? And to really show those different, those changes as Mm -hmm. either percent changes, but also in dollars. But knowing more about what your audience wants to know is Mm going to be important, whether your audience is your boss um, or whether it's, um, you know, an investor. Mm -hmm. So those things are really important to consider in addition to making sure you're asking the right questions Mm -hmm. and that your data is really saying something. Um, there's no reason to present a chart or graph if it doesn't say anything or no one right. can interpret it. So there's two ways to, to kind of look at that, that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's not saying anything, well, your question was either like not that interesting or the data is not that interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and we've seen that where, you know, they might say 20% of people like blue cars. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, so? <laughs> and and sometimes that's good because then they're leading you to their next point. But if it just kind of leaves you hanging and you think, eh, then again, you know, what was the point of it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so having a key insight, um, a key takeaway is is critical. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether you know whether it's like you know twenty percent people like blue, blue blue cars, this has changed since over the past 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago, the most popular color was, you know, black. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being able to put that in context and to show a reason why mm-hmm. you're communicating that insight. Right. You know, or break it into, to say male and female, you know, 20% of, of people like blue cars, but you know, women make 80% of the decisions and they prefer blue cars, you know, something, you know, and, and Absolutely. so I love it, that. Yeah, it, it is about adding more and more detail without adding too much. Um, so how do you know when you, when you put in too much, you know, if you, is, is there a point that it's really like, okay, stop, stop. <laughs> it's, it's really all about understanding your audience. So is your audience going to consume this in information through an interactive graphic mm-hmm. where, you know, it's all about cars and they can filter by gender. Mm-hmm. Um, they can filter by, you know, year and look how, how car color preferences have changed over time. Are you giving them control over kind of exploring the data? That's uh-huh. a different experience mm-hmm. and one that's become very popular these days. Mm-hmm. Or is it something that you're, you know, you're trying, you know, you're trying to, um, you're the one that sells the paint to the car company, <laughs> car manufacturing right. company. And you're trying to promote a new color, this mm-hmm. new special blue. Um, and that's different. That's more of a pitch. 
And mm-hmm. so you're, you're not really going to want to open it up to discussing, um, you know, other colors. You just want right. to focus on the blue and bring your point home. So all the graphics that you use would be evidence towards that end goal. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, you're the person pitching the paint. And if you say, you know, 20% prefer blue, my first thought would be, well, what do the other 80% prefer? <laughs> you know? and, and so, yeah, it's like, it's all in, in how you are presenting it. For sure, yes. So maybe it's that the the 20% that buy the cars are buying BMWs <laughs> or or something, you know, so that, again, they're not just going, so what, or okay, and, and things like that. Absolutely, absolutely. A greater, greater like, profit margin for whatever reason. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a, as a business owner, what should we be trying to measure? You know, and, and granted, there's profit, there's, you know, things like that. But let, let's get even more specific, you know, rather than just, okay, you're kind of the, gen, the general things. What all should we be measuring as, and especially as a small business owner, what, you know, what things should we be looking at? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I mean, there's, there, there's so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one is, can you measure it? Um, and do you have the data to be able to measure it? Mm-hmm. Um, we have to start. So if you're mm-hmm. talking about a small business, um, is your is your firm set up so you're collecting the right data? Like, what okay. do you know about your customers? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you know about your products? Uh, what do you know about your competitors? And are you able, is that data easily accessible? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in, in a lot of cases, that data tends to be like siloed. So it's all mm-hmm. in different databases and, and kind of hard to access. And so one thing is making sure that you have everything digital. The second thing is making sure that you can access the data in, in a reasonable way and thinking about how you actually use it. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're all quick to like sign up for the latest analytics platform right. <laughs> that's going to make, make, you know, that we're Especially gonna- if it's easier. <laughs> Right, right, right. We're going to increase our revenue by 20% this year. Yeah, if we buy this new analytics platform. Well, how are you going to use that data? Are you using to predict customer buying ha- buying behavior for the next, you know, 12 months? Mm-hmm. Um, and so really thinking through um, those questions and actually how you're going to use those answers to those questions that you're asking. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, a there's you know, been there's a few ways that we use like visualization also in, in these analytics platform. One is like simply for reporting. Tell me what happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, not that much that we can do about the past. We can't change it. Um, but we can make decisions for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then the, the, the other set of questions that we can ask um, is about the present. So what could, what could we, we be looking at and observing and responding to kind of more in real time, mm-hmm. whether it is, you know, who's, who's mentioning us on Twitter, uh, who's liking or commenting on our, our different posts, mm-hmm. how many page views are we getting and impressions, mm-hmm. clicks, conversions, those types of things, which products are selling better today versus yesterday. Mm-hmm. And that's where dashboards come into play. And then, but you need someone to be looking at them. Right. <laughs> dashboards are great. Right. Yeah. No one is responding mm-hmm. to things that might be out of line or, wow, that. That, uh, you know, that ad that we just posted is doing really well mm-hmm. compared to this other one, but why? And, and seeing how you can kind of repeat that, that type of performance. Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit about reporting, about using dashboards, which help you answer questions in the present. Mm-hmm. And then also developing predictive models. And this is, you know, predicting, an example I keep giving is about, you know, um, our, our customer buying habits. Mm-hmm. 
for example, or uh, when do when do we lose customers? Mm-hmm. Uh, and predicting those customers that we might lose based on them having similar behaviors as the customers we've lost already. Mm-hmm. And what can we do to change that before it happens? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love the predictive part of this. Um, I had a guest on not long ago where we were talking about the fact that if you're not figuring out what's coming, you're going to to not survive, um, you know, and, and, and part of it is sometimes it's just a wild guess. And, and some of it is, you know, you are, you're reading, you know, uh, industry trends, all these various things, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and some examples that we talked about were things like, you know, five years ago, if you asked a taxi cab driver what Uber was, they would have gone, uh, you know, and, and now, you know, it, the Uber is taking over or Lyft or, you know, all of those various things. Um, the other example that I talked a lot about was, you know, website developers 10 years ago could charge an arm and a leg for a website because they were complicated. You had to know HTML programming, all of these various things. And then that little thing called WordPress came along. And many of them refused to acknowledge that it was, you know, was going to, to do anything. It was like, oh, you know, little, little people who have their little private blogs do that. Right. And, you know, and, and, it, and because they didn't keep up with what was happening, mm-hmm. you know, and, and some of those are, you know, let's be honest, pure numbers, you know, how many people are using that? Um, you know, and, and how easy is it? And then when it came down to, it was so easy that the people, the small business owner, the entrepreneur, whoever could do it sitting in their jammies watching TV, then the website developers went, oh, <laughs> we might be in trouble. And so how can you use data and data visualization to kind of predict the future? I mean, you know, that's, that is difficult, I know, but how can you, you know, how can you do that? And, or could you? And maybe that's a bit the question first. Well, I mean, there's, there's ways to, you know, forecast into, in, into the future for, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a limited way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, um, you need to um, have a lot of information, Mm-hmm. to do that. So if you want to try to figure out what's going to be the next hot neighborhood where I should invest, mm-hmm. maybe buy a condo now instead of waiting because the value is going to go up. Mm-hmm. Think about what would you need to know? Well, you need to know maybe what development is coming to the area. You know, like, like here, one of the big things, who is going to get Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. I mean, you probably would, you know, there might be like some signals, right? Mm-hmm. Besides, t- besides um, just looking at comparables, looking at comparables isn't going to tell you so much about the future. Mm-hmm. Comparables are basically, you know, condos that are very similar that I would mm-hmm. look at to see if I'm getting a fair deal or not. Right. Mm-hmm. But, and but you look at, well, are there new restaurants opening up in the area? Mm-hmm. Or are, closing. Or closing. I could start looking at Yelp data. Mm-hmm. Um perhaps to find that, um, you know, are schools growing, mm-hmm. the population growing, hmm, how has the median income uh, changed? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's lots of um, signals that we can look for mm-hmm. um, that are maybe not in the data that we have already. Mm-hmm. And so this is one, one way that you can start thinking about these problems creatively. Are there other, is there other information that you need besides what you're already collecting that, maybe you should be collecting or keeping an eye on to help inform um, what's, what's going to uh, 
what might occur in the future. And then we build, we build models to test, to test these different predictions, their accuracy of the predictions, um, using training data and, and, and test data to, to see um, how accurate they, they are. So I might look at a, a neighborhood that's blown up mm-hmm. and, and kind of retroactively look at those inputs and see what variables were, had the strongest signal mm-hmm. that this neighborhood would, would, uh, would become very popular and much more expensive and real estate values would increase. Right. And it is still, you know, it, it's not written in stone. I mean, that's the, the, the key that people need to remember. Um, you know, Bitcoin, great example of that. You know, six months ago, people thought Bitcoin was fabulous and now maybe not so much. Um, you know, and, and so it is something that, and, and that's the important thing. You need to continually be looking at the data and reviewing it and going, okay, well, what happened here? Why did this happen? You know, all of those various things. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's, there's real jobs for these, for these tasks now, right? Mm-hmm. So the area of data science is, you know, completely blown up and data scientists are really sought after jobs these days. Mm. It, uh, you know, it's much more than, you know, what we think about IT people. Mm-hmm. So these are people that are that are that are not just making the technology work and buying those analytic platforms, but these are the people that are using those analytic platforms mm-hmm. okay, to build these predictive models that managers need uh, to help you know with their inform their marketing strategies and their operation strategies and so on. So mm-hmm. um, these roles are really really critical these days, and there's there's really a science behind it. Mm-hmm. What well, now? You know that that's great if you're a big company and you can hire those those people. But what about the you know the the, the little people, the, the little people, the, the small business owners, the entrepreneurs? What tools are available for them to use? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, one is in themselves, investing in themselves, okay. learning a little bit about data science. Take an online course, a free online course. Learn a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. help you figure out what questions you really want to ask about your own business. Mm-hmm. That's, really, that's what I'd say is education is really the best place to start there. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't want to hire just a data science intern that knows nothing about your business and is right. really looking to you, you know, for guidance. You want mm-hmm. to kind of start with developing a little competence in asking the right questions. You don't have to build the models or visualize the data yet. It's much more about understanding hmm, how can you see this as being a very powerful tool in your business and helping you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's where I'd start. Yeah. And I love that concept because we might not know how to do it, but we need to recognize it. Um, When I was working on my, my master's degree, we had to take an entire course on uh, video production. Wow. And I remember I actually told the video instructor, this is not anything I'm ever really going to do. So it's kind of like what I told my algebra teacher. So why do I have to learn it? And, and, you know, his first thing was, well, it's a required class. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know that. But, but then he said, of course, the important thing. He said, I might hire someone to do it for me, and I needed to at least know the basics to know if they were doing it right or wrong. Absolutely. And that hit home because I thought, okay, you know, so that means I'm going to know that they're not overcharging me or, you know, in, in, you know, the, the case of, you know, someone I'm hiring someone to do data analysis, things like that. Are they asking the right questions? All of those various things, you know, we have to know enough to know if it's, if it's right or wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with uh, your professors. (laughs) 
<laughs> recommendation. Yeah, it's all about, you know, being able to have confidence in the people that you hire and you need to have some level of knowledge mm-hmm. um, with that, especially in the scenario that you gave a small business or a startup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's kind of the, I don't know that I don't know that I don't know it. <laughs> but a lot of it is common sense. I mean, you know, if, if say, you know, they're, they've, they've written 10 questions that they're going to ask. If you look through those and go, now, wait a minute, they don't make sense. Or, you know, they're, they're too broad or too specific or things like that. That's a big part of it is, is what I'm assuming. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there may be a question uh, that you're in turn raised that you're like, we don't have this data. We don't mm-hmm. collect this data. And that might be great that the intern raised that question and be like, well, we need to start collecting this data mm-hmm. um, to answer that because the question is really good. Or you might say, mm, no, the question is not so good. So, and, and sometimes a- it's, we don't want to know that answer. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. It's not, not relevant or we're not going to be able to use the result. And so going back to how am I going to use the answers mm-hmm. to questions in my practice, in my management, in the le- leadership of my company, um, in, in guiding and mentoring others. How am I going to use these answers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, one of the things that you have in, in your materials is the, some of the other tools to create the visuals. And of course, this appealed to me because that's, that's where my brain goes is, oh, let's make things pretty. Um, so what are some of the tools that you recommend that people can use? Oh, um, because I can make a pie chart in Excel. And, you know, yeah. But you know, what are some things that, that really, and, and sometimes maybe all I need is the pie chart in Excel, but what are some of the tools that people can use? Absolutely. So I, I kind of group the tools into four categories and it really depends on um, what you're trying to visualize and what the visualization task is. Okay. Um, so for instance, if you want to create um, a, uh, a map of New York City and you want to plot data like median income or something simple like that, you mm-hmm. need to use a tool that allows you to, to build these types of geospatial displays. Excel is mm-hmm. not going to do that. Right. Okay. Um, so usually like a, a, like a really mainstream tool, um, available in the market now is called Tableau, mm-hmm. Tableau desktop. And it, it's, it's, it's really terrific. It incorporates a lot of the principles of just good design. Uh, you, um, you can make really ugly graphs in, in Tableau too, but you can make really beautiful ones, mm-hmm. um, that, um, but we don't know if they're going to say anything yet. That's really up to the designer, mm-hmm. uh, whether there's an insight or not. So Tableau is is really a great al- it's a, a good alternative um, to Excel. It also allows for a wide range of displays. Like I said, anything from you know like uh, geospatial displays. You can create line graphs, bar charts, all of that. More complicated multivariate displays um, as well, like bubble charts. You might have heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, stream graphs and area graphs, time series. So it's very, very flexible. Um, there's also um, Excel isn't a bad choice. Uh, if you're a Mac user, I like to use um, the iWork suite. Mm. I feel that those uh, graphics just are come out of the box cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have what, a lot of what like uh, Edward Tufte is like the grandfather we call him of data graphics, mm-hmm. and um, it doesn't have this chart junk. Uh, chart chunk mm-hmm. is like these extra grid lines and tick marks. And generally when you build a graph in the iWork suite, um, the font size will be, won't be like eight. It will be like 12 or 14. Ah, mm-hmm. so you can see it right off the bat. So mm-hmm. um, Google charts is really easy. 
mm-hmm. and free. So that's another, if you want to create web-based or any charts that have like a little bit of motion or interactivity, like you can mouse over a point or a bubble and get more information. Uh, Google charts is a great free solution. Um, but there's also like, you know, other, um, tools out there for those who know how to code like R, Python, and JavaScript. There's a lot you can do for creating interactive um, visualizations, ones that are dynamic, that change based on how the data changes. Mm. Um, Tableau will do that for you as well. I would say like Tableau is your most like user-friendly. Um, you don't have to know much coding um, and it's it's pretty easy to, to use after mm-hmm. just a little bit of training. Um, but if just for like the everyday, like bar and pie, I use like Excel or iWork or Google. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. You know, and one of the things that I use, because every once in a while I will do a graph or, you know, a chart. And so like I, I do an infograph yeah. and Canva has great templates. I love Canva. Um, and so I do one on my listener stats and my listener demographics. And, you know, and, and so it's, it's simple and basic, you know, how many listeners in the last seven days, how many in the last 30 days, how many in the last 90 days and all time total plays. I mean, that's one whole column, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and then some other things. And so it's, it is, you know, again, as you mentioned, it's dependent on who you're t- talking to, you know, what do you need to tell them? Now, if I were going for an advertiser, I would want to provide much more detail than, than what I just said. But for the, the average person where I'm just saying, hey, listen to my program, you know, it's pretty cool to be able to say, you know, 129,000 downloads. And, you know, and, and then, of course, their question is, well, you know, since when? Okay, so I can put that in there, and, you know, and, and all of those things. But, you know, and, and but again, it is, um, it's how you interpret the data. But it's all, you know, as I was looking at my graph here, it's also color and, and things like that. Um, you know, and, and those are basic design things. You know, you want something noticed, you put it in a bright color, you know, or all these various things. Um, so, you know, it's, it is, that's, again, that's why this is so fascinating is, you know, you could, you could have a, a very small number, but if you make it like bright red to catch somebody's attention, then, you know, you, that might be what you're wanting to accomplish. You know, maybe it's a safety thing, you know, that 5% have an issue, you know, and, and so you're wanting to sell, you know, the safety feature, you know, and, and so, you know, the 95%, you're like, whatever, but you want to catch people's attention about that 5%. So you make it in bright red, you make it the exploding graph, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you want something to stand out, you need to make sure it stands out. Mm-hmm. Um, a pitfall that, you know, a lot of people, you might, you see this probably a lot of charts and graphs is that they make everything stand out and nothing. Right. Stands out. Mm-hmm. So you get the rainbow of colors. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, and that's, that's the problem. You know, we all start playing with the colors and we're like, Ooh, I could do green and blue and purple. And <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. Yeah. I want to do a study on this. I would say the most underused color is gray and it's probably the color that we should use the most. Right. Um, I, I kind of, uh, it, in my book, I put together a set of like, you know, 10 templates that people mm-hmm. can use, you know, the basic types of charts. Mm-hmm. And I use the gray scale mm-hmm. for everything except for the single value that I want to stand out. Hmm. And then I use this, it's called, I use this color, a cyan to make it stand out like Mm -hmm. an aqua. Um, And so everything in gray, except Mm -hmm. for the piece of information that you want to stand out, whether that's a point on a scatter plot, whether Mm -hmm. that's a bar in a bar graph, um, or one of the lines in a multiple time series. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just having that restraint um, actually shows your insight a lot more clear. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and it's funny. It's, it's kind of like if you were designing a room, a pop of color catches <laughs> someone's attention far more than if the entire room is overwhelming. That's a great analogy. Yes. So talk to us a little bit more about your book. You know, as I mentioned, um, as we were recording this program, it just came out. Um, so tell us more about the book and why you decided to write it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, you know, I've been teaching visualization for, for many years mm -hmm. and I found great books that I could use in my class, but then I started using too many of them. <laughs> they right. all had so many great books. A little, little overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And they were general. And they're designed for a general audience. And I teach business school students. Mm -hmm. So I think I mentioned earlier is that I learned quickly. I needed to make the, the, the business case for mm -hmm. data visualization. Not just let's do this because we have data and we need to communicate it visually and tell a story. All that stuff is great. Mm -hmm. And that's what every book says. Right. Um, but I actually wanted to share perspectives of people who do this in their mm -hmm. practice. And the whole idea is to help readers incorporate visualization in their practice. You know, have a visualization habit, per se. Mm -hmm. And so what I did is um, I interviewed practitioners um, across different industries, anything from, you know, uh, the gaming industry to, um, you know, HR consulting to startups. Wow. And, yeah, and really to see how they use visualization in their practice and to tell their story. Mm -hmm. um, so I have five really rich case studies in addition to um, many interviews with visual examples describing, here's the data graphic, here, here would have been the alternative if I mm -hmm. didn't, and here's how it impacted my, my work. Mm. Um, and because I felt like I was constantly making the business case in my class, and I've mm -hmm. developed my own case studies and the like. But in addition, the book walks you through how to um, how to visualize data, everything from the data formatting and analysis to the actual creation of the graphics mm -hmm. um, and refining those graphics to make sure that they're readable, clear, and accessible. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned the color red before. So, you know, if we, if we, uh, you can kind of think about what's the cultural meaning of red. We can also think about, well, mm -hmm. when we put red and green together, that can have a meaning. Right. So talk about all these different um, kind of pitfalls that can mm -hmm. happen. Uh, what, if, what if someone, you know, is colorblind or has partial colorblindness? Can they see, you know, that red, just mm -hmm. the red stand out as much to them as well? And so considering all these, um, these aspects of your audience and how they're going to perceive the information mm -hmm. is a yeah, whole chapter on audience. Um, and one thing I really focus on is where is your audience? Where are they interpreting your data graphic? Are you in front of them? Can you mm -hmm. use your voice? Right. Um, can you use can they ask questions? Can they ask questions? Mm -hmm. How, you know, I, I call this the party favor. After they're done, you know, your presentation, your pitch, or interpreting your data graphic, what's the takeaway? Right. What's the party favor that they're leaving the room with and they're going to remember? Mm -hmm. And how can you make them remember it? So we, we, we talk a little bit about cognition in the book, mm -hmm. um, building on our audience's prior knowledge, trying to engage them, and present them with information that they can kind of follow mm -hmm. and connect with their pre-existing knowledge to kind of build on their understanding of whatever it is that you're trying to communicate. Um, so really thinking deeply about that is super important. Um, and a lot of um, 
examples of, of pitfalls and really I have a bunch of checklists that someone reading this book can, can kind of pass on to, you know, someone they might be mentoring on visualization and say, okay, I know you're the one creating the graphics for me, you know, follow mm-hmm. this checklist. And they have a way to kind of assess, mm-hmm. not just say the graphic looks good or not. We need more detailed ways to kind of give, give feedback um, on that practice. So I love it. You know, and, and it is something that, as we've been saying, every business owner should be doing to some degree. Um, you know, even if you are just kind of doing it in your head as you do your accounting at the end of the year, you know, we need to look at those numbers and, and figure them out and, and go through them and, and, you know, really be looking at those. But more importantly, you know, what, you know, what products are they buying? You know, what aren't they buying? Um, you know, I work a lot on social media. So I, you know, tell people, okay, these are the type of posts that work better. Um, these are the type of, of ads that might work better. Um, you know, and, and then, of course, the key is to go back and reevaluate. You know, things change. You know, what, what happens in the summer is going to be very different from, you know, what people uh, are doing on social media in the winter. You know, all these various things. Absolutely. Absolutely. So imagine having um, something that's interactive so you can Mm -hmm. show those changes over time Mm -hmm. um, and how one variable may change based on season, for Mm -hmm. instance. So that's that's a terrific example. Great. I love it. Well, Kristen, we've got about five minutes left. And one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about um, is the fact that you are a woman, and we mentioned this when I was talking about your bio, a woman in technology, in computer programming, in mathematics, all of those things that women don't tend to, to do. Now, you know, more and more, we are seeing more young women in the STEM programs, things like that. But what are some tips that you can give to young women about how they can be successful in those fields? That's really a great question. I'm really so glad that, um, that you've asked it. It's one thing I think is, is finding one or more near peer mentors. So okay. people that are like around your age, maybe a little older, maybe, maybe in a, like a slightly higher position. Mm-hmm. Um, to seek their advice on kind of like where, where, what are the future career paths? Mm-hmm. Uh, many times we're, we're, we're in a position and we think that the future career path is, you know, um, somewhere between yourself and your boss, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> um, looking upwards and, and maybe, and maybe there's other alternatives. So, mm-hmm. um, for instance, you know, I started in business and transitioned to education. And so, mm-hmm. um, knowing that there are, you know, these skills, Mm-hmm. skills, like all those STEM, in STEM areas, but, you know, if we're talking about specifically in technology, I mean, technology is, is so broad. Right. Um, and so finding, finding your voice, do you want to be more, you know, involved with technology and design, mm-hmm. uh, more with technology and analytics, um, technology with building apps? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many directions. And so um, kind of building your, like a small network of like near peer mentors, mm-hmm. uh, I think is really, really helpful. So, and even if you're not interested in something, find somebody and, and, and see if you can develop an interest in that area. So you don't just reject things without having the information. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. After you find out, you might, oh, well, no, not so much, but find, as you said, find out more about it before you go, oh, not so much. Yeah. It's that whole idea, like knowing what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's one thing. I I think another thing is, is like as much as possible, um, try to learn what the people around you are doing. So Mm -hmm. if you're in one role, like a coder, 
um, find out what the designer is doing mm-hmm. and see if you, you know, how you can be involved in, in, in that practice a little bit or, or, or some of those tasks just to get a sense, to broaden your skill set. Um, so I, I think, you know, sometimes, you know, um, especially when, when you start, your jobs tend to be, you know, pretty narrow in mm-hmm. terms of the, the work that you're doing. You might be working just in one or two different technologies. How can you explore and expand to others? A lot of times it's dictated by what the business chooses. Mm-hmm. Oh, we only use Tableau for visualization. So you may never learn, you know, D3 or JavaScript right. or how to do it in R. Mm-hmm. So figuring out, you know, if this is the area you want to go into, okay, what other technologies um, are available that I can, you know, maybe take an online course, or maybe there's somebody next to me uh, working in that in that program. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and one of the things you mentioned that I, I really like is the concept of, you know, finding other people to work with. You know, so say you're going into to data visualization, maybe developing a partnership with a graphic designer is something that really would be good because they're going to know the colors, or maybe it's a psychologist, psychiatrist. You know, somebody. You know, all of these various other people that can make you even more valuable as as an asset to a company. Uh, you know, that that's always great. Don't, you know, don't get yourself stuck in, well, this is what I do and I'm only going to stay here because especially in technology, you're going to, you know, it's going to go past you pretty fast. Absolutely. And, and be able to like self-assess, mm-hmm. you can self-assess and understand like your performance to date and be able to improve those areas and show how you've improved them. I think that's mm-hmm. fantastic. And so whether you're, you know, it takes you an hour to build like a data graphic, well, now you have a metric for how long it's going to take. Right. Think about how much a better communicator you're going to be next time someone asks you to, to do that type of task in the mm-hmm. future. Now you have metrics. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that I always tell, like, my team is that, like you said, we're, 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 we're obsessed with numbers. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to try to move into management, um, really understanding how to measure performance, even at the smallest level, how long it takes you to create a data graphic is mm-hmm. And having those practices early on, it really does set you set you up for the future. Mm-hmm. Well, and then knowing things like people skills, um, you know, and, and some things like that, because we do, we get caught in our little silos and we forget that there are other things out there that are going to tie in that, that you know, it's, it's like we said, you at least need to know a little bit about it. Absolutely. I mean, my final piece of advice is build a portfolio and keep building it. Um, don't build a portfolio once and think that you're done. Right. Constant evolution of your work and to showcase that. Uh, obviously, there are plenty of platforms to do that. Anything from, you know, LinkedIn to your, you know, your daily tweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's going to be really important. I mean, everybody these days really needs to build their brand and distinguish themselves. Mm-hmm. And as you do that portfolio building, you'll find your voice in technology and you'll see it'll be reflected back to you the direction mm-hmm. that, that you're headed. And that, I think that will be very helpful. Also, as you um, seek out mentors right. to understand kind of really what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things that I tell people is keep those older things there. You know, they are part of the, the learning process that you went through. And, and so it's, it's, you know, don't go, oh, well, you know, I learned how to do this app back five years ago, so it's not really valid anymore. But it shows a progression 
of your knowledge, of your learning, you know, all of these various things. And so it's, it's okay to have some of those in there. It's just like, you know, if somebody lists all the, the publications they've been in, um, you know, you, you don't just go back five years. Or, you know, now if you've changed careers, that's a little bit different. But yeah, you, it's good to have kind of that archive of information there. Oh, absolutely. And it shows such like a persistence in a, in a particular field or discipline. Absolutely. I couldn't right. agree more. Right. Well, Kristen, speaking of numbers, <laughs> we've, we've almost spent all of our minutes. So tell people, first of all, where do they find the book and then where do they connect with you online? Oh, great. So you can find the book at Amazon. It's called Data Visualization Made Simple, Insights into Becoming Visual. It, it's just released on September 20th. I'm really excited. And you'll be able to preview a chapter there. You can learn more at becomingvisual.com. Uh, you can follow me at my last name, Sosolsky, S-O-S-U-L-S-K-I, um, at Sosolsky on Twitter, uh, Kristen Sosolsky on LinkedIn, or you can uh, join my newsletter at kristensosolsky.com. You know, you're very lucky. You're one of those people that has that. <laughs> probably you're the only Kristen Sosolsky in the world. <laughs> I think I might be. <laughs> There's only three other Deb careers that I've been able to find. So, you know, this is, it's, it's fun, fun being able to do that, to just say, look me up by my name, because you can pretty much find me that way. So Kristen, this really has been fascinating. And I can't wait to read your book because I, you know, it's like I said, I look at numbers and I go, and but I know I need them, you know, and and so it's it's going to be very important for me to go through, especially since it's the you know it's, it's called data visualization made simple. Um, so I am going to get your book and, and go through that and and um, really enjoy. I'm sure reading it. Oh my gosh! Well, I'm so happy that to have this conversation today. It was really fun, and uh, I loved all the questions. And you know, uh, hi to all the listeners. Thanks for listening. <laughs> great, great. Well, I am Deb Creer. I've been having an absolutely delightful time talking with Dr. Kristen Sosolsky. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real life stories and techniques to power up your business. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.